praise you that you will be with us always and that you promised to be with us always even unto the end of the age. And now, Father God, somebody needs to know that if they have you, that they don't need anything else. That every care in the world can be met, that every need that they could ever have could be met, that every answer to every situation that they are in can be met in you. That, Father God, with you as their plan A, that they don't need a plan B. That, Father God, you are all that we will ever need, that all we need is your presence, because where your presence is, there is peace. There is power. There is promotion. There is healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord another praise on today. Let's praise the Lord for Lady Marquita in the house of the Lord on today. And you all may be seated. I would have you all stand to read the text, but it's a little bit of a long text on today. I don't want y'all falling asleep, amen. <laughs> But let's turn to Genesis 31, verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all of his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. His acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook, overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brothers pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me, for I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in doing it. Is, 
in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. But with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. May the Lord add a blessing and understanding to his word. Now, as I've gotten older in the word at this point in my life, I can't help but to find myself as fascinated and intrigued as much by the personalities and the mindsets of the men and women in the Bible as I am about the miraculous actions of God that we see in the word as, as enamored and fascinated as I am about the miracles I've come to learn as I've lived a little bit more life to be as fascinated by the, the personalities and the thought processes that were going on in the minds of the men and women around those miracles. I think that as we look in the, at the wondrous miracles that God did in these times, it becomes real easy to forget that the people in these texts were human. But as you all know by now, I like to look and talk about the people in the Bible as if they were actually real people. Why? Because they were actually real people, yeah. <laughs> Just like us here today. And you know whether we like to admit it or not, don't be afraid to admit it, that we like talking about people. <laughs> I know they say that it's not nice to talk about people, but in these cases, it's okay. They're not going to hear us, and no one's going to tell them what we said. But at this time, we come to our sister Rachel, beautiful sister Rachel, beautiful of name, beautiful of face, Rachel. She has captured the heart of all Christianity, probably ranks up there past Esther as one of the finest, hottest women in the Bible. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't try to act like that. She was like Isaac's mother, Sarah, and she was like Samuel's mother, Hannah, barren for most of her married life. She couldn't have children for most of her life. But it is Rachel that has captured the hearts of so many in the church and in the word. When Matthew told the story of the infancy of Jesus and the wicked King Herod trying to destroy Jesus by killing the boy babies in the Bethlehem area, Matthew says, I heard a voice in Ramah. The voice of Rachel weeping, weeping for her children. And she would not be consoled because they were gone. 
sister Rachel. Of the many sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, Rachel bore Jacob only two sons. First, there was Joseph, who was to save the whole family and ultimately all of their people from famine because of his position in Egypt. And then there was beloved Benjamin, who she died giving birth to. Today, she's said to be buried somewhere near the city of Bethlehem. But in the text we read just a few seconds ago, Rachel is at a point of transition, a radical dislocation. When Isaac knew that there was room, there was not room in the land for his warring sons, Jacob and Esau, he said to Jacob, I don't want you to marry one of these Palestinian women around here. I want you to leave. I want you to go to the east country. Your mother has relatives there and they fine too. I want you to marry among those people. So he went far to the east and he met Rachel, the daughter of Laban, and he fell in love with her at first sight. You may know the story. Jacob said, Laban, I will work for you for seven years for the right to marry her. And he did. You know the story. He worked for seven years and on the day of the wedding, the bride comes out with a veil and he goes in and consummates the marriage only to find out the next day that it was actually Rachel's older sister, Leah who was not as attractive as Rachel. Jacob said to Laban, I said, Rachel, why did you do this to me? Well, Laban says, well, Leah is older, and in our country, the older girl marries first. So Jacob worked seven more years, 14 years, to marry this woman. Now that is extraordinary. I know some brothers that won't work 14 minutes to be able to talk to a girl. They're not even waiting 14 seconds. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> but I would love just to have loved to see what Rachel looked like. I mean, brother, she had to be so fine. She made your face hurt to look at. You'd be like, when you looked at her. But 14 years, 14 years, Jacob worked to marry her. He did it. He loved her. They were married, and then they stayed on for six more years working for Laban. That's 20 years of Jacob's life away from home. But Laban who he worked with and who he worked for, and he was able to prosper under Laban's working, working with Laban and make a lot of money and make a, become prosperous working for him, it was time to leave. And after those 20 years of 14 working to be able to gain her hand in marriage and six years of marriage, Jacob said, it's time for us to go back to the land of my people, back to the land of my father's. The land of my inheritance is time to go back to the land 
of my God. Rachel agreed. Your God is my God, honey. Your land is my land. Your family is my family. She got saved. And so begins for her a time of radical dislocation. Look at your neighbor and say radical dislocation. She had even after marriage, not only her years of growing up in her home, but even after her marriage, she lived in her father's house for six more years. It was daddy's house. And she had such a strong protecting father who loved his daughters and cared for and provided for them in every conceivable way. Everything was so secure in Rachel's life. And now all of a sudden, move, change. Now, it is a known fact that one thing that most people do not like is change. And the one thing that they hate more than change is sudden change. But change, beloved, is inevitable. It has been said that the one thing that will never change is that the fact that there will always be change. And change does not wait for us to get ready. Change just changes. Even though it might be a change for the better, We might not feel like changing things because we've gotten, you know, comfortable. We've gotten used to the way things are. We even get used to our, we get used to our routines. Even though we may be in a a situation that we wish we could get out of, we get complacent sometimes. We might not even be happy with the situation, but after it happens for such a long time, we kind of start feeling at home in the middle of the mess that we were sitting in. We get complacent, even though we want change. We get used to those circumstances. And change takes energy. Change represents uncertainty. Change takes us out of our routine. When you were new to a new school or a new environment, you had to kind of sit back and wait to see where you could sit and eat because all of the people who had been there before you and longer than you had a place that they liked to sit and they had no problem letting you know that this is a place where they eat and you need to get up and move. They refused to change. I have actually seen Visitors to West Angeles get asked to get up and move because they were sitting in someone's place. They didn't know that there's no name tags on these seats. We're going to talk about that later. Amen. But from the pulpit, I can sometimes tell who is and isn't at church from any given service to the next because everybody usually always sits in the same area, and that is our routine. Don't upset the balance of nature. Don't force change. 
We all have our routines. An old preacher dearly departed once told me, do not move the furniture in the, hand, in the home of an elderly person. Don't create any upsetting circumstance. Because you see, routine can have a calming and composing quality to it. Routine has been underrated. Whether we like to admit it or not, routine is extremely important. It'll be fun as we go throughout the week. And as you go through your week next week, just think about what it is that is your routine and how strange it feels just to change it sometimes. It's kind of fun every once in a while. But right now, Sister Rachel has no place now. No routine. Nothing familiar in the environment she's moving into. She's, she's worried. She doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. Oh, she has a place way down the road in the future, and she says outwardly, as surely and firmly as anyone, I am saved now. I believe in God. There is no God but my husband's God, the God of Israel. I can handle this change. But sometimes, very quietly in the middle of change, we try to hold on to what we're used to in our routines. And before she leaves, she steals her family's gods, the little idols that Laban and the rest of her family worshipped. She sneaks them in the saddlebags of her camel, just in case. Now, when the women of this time and place got married, it was customary for them to transfer their loyalty to the gods of their husband and his family rather than exercise any individual freedom to choose their own gods or religion. They adopted his beliefs. Wives are automatically by marriage bound to the god of their husband. That's why they say don't be unequally yoked. But that's a whole nother sermon too. Amen. We're going to get into that later. But Rachel, for some reason, decided to take the gods that her family worshipped and prayed to and take them with her. These have been the little gods on the altar of her father's home. Little candle on each side of them. And in Rachel's mind, these gods brought the rain. They made the crops grow on her father's land. They caused the cows and the lambs and the livestock to come. They caused the children in her family to be healthy. They caused happy marriages. These were her family's gods that she had prayed to and worshiped all of her life. They also represented her ancestors, represented their hopes and their dreams for their descendants. And even though God Almighty blessed her husband, Jacob, and he prospered while working for her father, in her mind, she probably thought that it was her family's idol gods that made Jacob prosperous. So she took them. She didn't have a right to. She wasn't supposed to, but she took them anyway. Just a little back up 
a part of who she used to be. Just a little something to hold on to as she moved into a new life. A little backup. Oh, yes. God's blessings and promises and future are just ahead. There's only one true God, the God of, well, just in case, a little backup, you see. Just a little backup. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the title of our message today, A Little Back Up. Look at your neighbor and say, A Little Back Up. Do you find that that's really the way, that's really the way it is? Just a little back up? Most of us need a little back up sometimes. The first thing the police do when they come upon a certain kind of situation is call for backup. You walk and talk a whole lot different when you have a little backup. I used to roll through the party, I mean through the function, a whole lot differently when I knew my homies were in the place. Not that I ever partied or anything like that, I just... Saw a lot on TV, amen. But I walked and talked a whole lot differently when I walked in when I knew that my crew, that my backup was all around. But not all backup is good backup. Amen. Hmm. Let's dig a little bit deeper. You are married. But when things get a little tough in the relationship, you have a little thing on the side that you go to instead of dealing with the realities of marriage. A little backup. Ladies, you have that secret bank account that you haven't told him about because you need to have a little something tucked away when this brother acts a fool. A little backup. Mm. They call it he money. Money he don't know about. (laughs) You've been in church all of your life. You grew up in church, but you still find yourself checking that online horoscope to see what you're supposed to do that day. A little backup. You are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost with a mighty burning fire. But every once in a while, you go out and send out for a vial of heavenly water from the holy fountain of somewhere special. And you send your money not to buy the water, but as a contribution, a a donation. Just a little something so God will hear your prayers a little louder, a little back up. Or let's go deeper. You're on the verge of great success in your life. Greatness on your job and relationships. But you're afraid that you might fail. You are full of anxiety that you might not be enough to turn. So you turn to the bottle or whatever else you knew you used to medicate yourself and dull the pain. Because it always made you feel a little better back in the day. It doesn't have to be sex or drugs. It could be your possessions. 
It could be or the way, the way you act or feel or act to feel in control of life's circumstances. It's that thing you do or that place you go to where you're, you're in the middle of a new situation that you are not used to. It is a little back up. You find yourself in a new situation, in new circumstances and in a new environment and, and, and you feel so unsure, you, you go back to something that you used to hold on to just to make yourself feel a little bit more sure. It could be the way that you used to think. It could be the way that you used to see things. It could be your perspectives, your coping mechanism. Those things you used to do and those places in your hearts that you used to hide in to relieve stress and fear. Those things we used to do and those things we use to feel secure. Oh, they feel good at the moment. They provide a brief moment of respite, but ultimately they lead you exactly where you were when you started most of the time and they are, can actually be self-destructive to where you are in that moment or where God is leading you. It sends you into a cycle of self-sabotage that leaves you wondering why you can't seem to get past a certain point in your life it makes you wonder why you can't can't get past a certain point in your relationship with God in your walk don't be ashamed everybody here has something that we like to fall back on when things get a little strange everybody no one here is exempt Everybody has some place in your mind or something that you do or something that you have to hold on to when things get a little topsy-turvy, a little back up. Now, the epidemic of COVID-19 and our time in quarantine exposed what many of us were holding on to as backup. We couldn't go through our normal Routines when we had those withdrawal symptoms. We couldn't do what we used to do to cope with the issues we were facing. You couldn't sneak out to happy hour on the way home. You couldn't even leave home. Couldn't go work out or tell your wife you were going to work out while you went to go hang out at the bar with the boy. Well, you know, I'm not going to get into that. But it was shocking to see the arise in divorces and in the, in the cases of domestic violence and child abuse during the time that we had to stay locked in our homes. It was shocking. But it let me know that a whole lot of us had a whole lot of backup that we were leaning on that kept us from facing the reality of our relationships, the reality of our situations. Now, the way that Rachel didn't get caught with her family's gods was that she hid them in a little stool, and while they were searching everyone's possessions, she sat on that stool. They never found the gods, and somebody probably paid a very high price for her lack of faith. But that just goes to show how far we'll go to hide and protect our backup. 
Somebody in here say a little backup. Okay, y'all are still here. Amen. But ultimately, young Rachel never truly got to see the promise that God brought in and through her life. She never got to see her son Joseph grow up and save his people like her husband Jacob was able to see because she died in childbirth. But we can learn from this. The destiny and purpose that God had for Rachel was much bigger and stronger than her backup, than her family's gods, but she never truly got to see it. But we can learn and see that God, what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. Rachel, I'm pretty sure, probably heard about the promise that God made to her father-in-law. No, her great-father-in-law. God made a promise to Jacob's granddaddy that he was going to take them to a land and that the descendants, her descendants, would number as the stars and the grains of the sea on the beach. So she was part of a promise that was much bigger than her, but she didn't know it. So she held on to something that was much smaller than the promise. And that's a huge point. Whatever you're trying to hold on to as backup is much smaller than the promise that God has put on your life. We're going to post that. Whatever you're trying to hold on to as a little bit of backup is much smaller than the promise that God has on your destiny. You are a part of a destiny that God has put on your life. And don't diminish it and weaken it by holding on to something small and insignificant that you used to use as a pacifier. What God says he's going to do He's going to do. Amen. Mm. Now, when God gives you new life in him, when he answers your prayer, when he gives you the miracle that you've been praying for, it can be terrifying because it's going to literally change your life. But we are in danger of sabotaging that very blessing that we are praying for because we still want to hold on to some of the ways that we saw things. Hold on to some of our old perspectives in the middle of a new life and a new purpose that he's trying to bring about in our lives. It's that desire for a little backup in each of our lives that's keeping us from being fully, completely committed and sold out to what God wants us to do. Sometimes we like to hold on to a little backup. Understand, I understand. Trust me, I do. But I don't want something from my yesterday, something I used to hold on to, some habit, some mode of habitual thinking to kill my tomorrow. I don't want to kill my tomorrow yesterday. Give the Lord praise if you don't want something from your yesterday to kill your tomorrow. 
to kill what God could do in your life. Here's the key point. The one thing that we need to remember. Bishop says, I see you in the future and you look much better than you look right now. But that's going to take change. In order to look better in the future, you can't look the way you look right now. You have to change. Some of the things that you're holding on to as backup, your security blanket, your pacifier, you're going to have to leave behind. It's weighing you down. It's keeping you from being all that you could be. It's keeping you from believing and having faith in the true source of our strength. It's keeping you from flying as high as God would have you to fly. You can have a plan A and a plan B in business, but in your relationship with God, you have to fully commit. You have to be all in. It's the only way that you're going to see God work truly work fully in your life. It's the only way that you're going to see his greatness. With God as your plan A, you will never, ever need a plan B. Oh, you'll never need a plan B. He's all the backup that you'll ever need. Somebody give the Lord praise today. Hallelujah. When a little shepherd boy named David faced the Philistine killing machine named Goliath, saw the king tried to place his own armor on David. He wanted to give David a little backup as he faced Goliath. But that same armor, that backup would have cost David his life if he would have tried to take it into that situation. It was too heavy. It would have weighed him down. David knew that he would have to face Goliath without a little backup because God was all the backup that David needed. Hallelujah. Oh, we're not finished. Verse 24 of our text. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. He said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what I call backup. Say it with me. That's backup right there. Moses and the children of Israel, Red Sea in front of them, mountains on the side, Pharaoh's army attacking from the rear. God splits the Red Sea, lets the children of Israel make it through, then drowns Pharaoh's army. He said, these which you see before you, you will see no more. I call that backup. Give the Lord praise for his backup. <laughs> Daniel thrown in a lion's den with hungry lions. God closes the mouth of the lions and Daniel slept peacefully using the lions as his pillow and his footstool. Beloved, I call that backup. Somebody needs to be reminded what real backup is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in a fiery furnace, walking around like they're on a Sunday stroll. They pulled three men out and left somebody in there so he could be our 
backup when we get thrown in the fire. Somebody say, that's backup. <laughs> One of my favorite accounts comes from 2 Kings and 6. Centuries after the time of Jacob and Rachel, the king of Syria had initiated a campaign against the children of Israel. But every time he tried to do a little plan, God's children were already there and always there waiting for him. He said, it is as if somebody is in my cabinet telling the children of Israel what I'm going to do. So find out who it is. His people said, well, but you know, sir, there is a prophet in the land of Israel and the spirit of the Lord is letting him know what we're doing. And his name is Elisha. So he goes and sends an army after Elisha. Goes to surround the city that Elisha is in. Says, bring me Elijah's head. One day Elijah's servant goes out to, you know, gather water or something and he sees this massive army around the city coming for Elijah and he runs in there and he says, oh my God, what we are going to do? He completely panics. So he answered and Elijah answers him in 2 Kings 6 and 16, do not fear for those who are with us, those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray to open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That army didn't stand a chance, my brothers. That is back up. Somebody give the Lord praise on today. With Almighty God with you, you will never need backup. Luke 10 and 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. That's backup. What will we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's backup. Hallelujah. Our Savior Christ Jesus condemned to die by execution, crucified on a cross for our sins, killed and laid dead in the grave for three days, and God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Not only do I call that back up, I call that get back up after you've been down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That which God started, he will finish. He promised. And outside of all of that backup, he says we're going to get, we get eternal life. We get eternal life. I call that backup. Let's give the Lord some praise on today. Praise him, praise him. Hallelujah. Everyone standing, everyone standing. We worship and adore thee, bowing down before thee. Songs of praise the singing, hallelujahs ringing. 
wonderful, magnificent band continues to play quietly, someone needs to be reminded that with God as your plan A, you'll never, ever need a plan B. You'll never need a plan B. He's all the backup that you will ever need. In fact, he doesn't have to be backup. I'm going to send him into the fight before I get there. And you send him into the fight before you get there with your praise. Everybody give the Lord praise on today. Mm-hmm. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. Someone now needs to make the decision to trust him completely. Don't let what you're holding on to as a little backup keep you from being all that you could be in Christ. He's put purpose inside of you. He has put greatness inside of each and every one of you here. All of you here have an anointing. All of my brothers and sisters online, he has put something inside of you that can change the world. Make the decision to follow him today. Only through following him will you be able to achieve all that he has put and attain all that he has put inside of you. There may be someone here online that knows that you haven't fully been living out your best life. You know that there is more to life than this. You know that there is something inside of you and it is clawing to get out. But you don't understand why it can't come out. You don't understand what is standing in the way. That's because you haven't fully let go. And you haven't fully let God. You know you haven't been able to fully put everything in God's hands because you're holding on to some kind of backup. Some kind of plan B. And if you know, you know that it is time, if you know that it is time to put it all in God's hands and leave everything that's holding you behind, then come on down to this altar. Hallelujah. Come on down to this altar. We're going to pray for you. Even if you're already saved and you know that there is more to God in this relationship with God than you are getting and you want more of God. This is for you too. Come on down. We're going to pray for you. It's not to embarrass you. It's not to put you on the spot. It's not to put you on the hot seat. But it is you letting God know that you want more of him. And if you're not saved, it is you letting God know that you want him to be in your heart, to be in your life, that you want more. Because you know that it is more to life than this. Oh, come on down. We're going to pray with you too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.